Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. And we're once again recording at Nutmeg with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is one of the most likable, most recognized, and most popular actors of the last seven decades. He's been in iconic films like The Blackboard Jungle, Tora, 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 The Greatest Story Ever Told, Heavy Traffic, Cannonball Run, Scrooge, The Gong Show Movie, and two favorites of this podcast, with Six You Get Egg Roll and Who's Minding the Mint. His memorable TV roles are too numerous to list, but what the hell? My Three Sons, The Andy Griffith Show, The Flying Nun, Love American Style, I Dream of Jeannie, F Troop, Get Smart, Barnaby Jones, The Night Stalker, Mad About You, and Family Guy, to just name a few. And he's featured in a TV movie we've discussed at length on this show, Murder Can Hurt You. Along with his journey, he shared the screen with a dazzling array of talent, including Sidney Poitier, Doris Day, Lucille Ball, Charlton Heston, Burt Reynolds, Dean Martin, Roger Moore, Danny Kaye, Sammy Davis Jr., and yes, John MacGyver, as well as our former guest, and this is just a few of them, <laughs> Dick Van Dyke, John Biner, Jessica Walter, Carl Reiner, Marvin Kaplan, and Marty Allen. But with all of his many appearances and achievements, he'll forever be beloved to audiences all over the world as the conniving but endearing Max Klinger on what many consider to be the greatest half-hour comedy in television history, M.A.S.H. Please welcome to the show a versatile actor who's played everything from a hippie to an apostle and a man Red Skelton once called a doctor of comedy. The pride of Toledo, Ohio, Jamie Farr. Wow, I tell you, I didn't realize he did all this. You know what, Gilbert? Yeah. I'm too big for your show. I shouldn't <laughs> even be on this show. I didn't realize he did all those things. <laughs> I haven't worked, uh, you know, since then, but that's okay. <laughs> Jamie, welcome. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Gilbert. Now, we we got to go to the most important topic that we were discussing before we got on the air. <laughs> what is that? Yeah. I don't even care about MASH. <laughs> I, I do. I, I, I got to go to the mailbox and see if a residual is in there. I haven't had any fresh money in a long time, Gilbert. I got to get the old residuals. Yeah. What is it that you wanted to talk about? That you... <laughs> A quote <laughs> from you is, Jews have been very good to you. <laughs> they have indeed. As I told you before we before we actually went on the air, you know, uh, I, I have a lot of my uh, Lebanese friends back in my hometown in Toledo. And every time I go back to visit them, they say, please say hello to our cousins in California. Because as you probably know, Abraham uh, and, and Hagar, the Egyptian, uh, had the first Arab, which was uh, Ishmael. So we are cousins, my friend. 
There you go. Cousin Jamie. Cousin Gilbert. <laughs> this is co- Cousin Jamela. <laughs> well, you know, the, all the people that helped me in this business, uh, of course, were uh, my first movie, as you know, was uh, Blackboard Jungle. Sure. And Pandro S. Berman was the producer of that uh, show. He had done all the uh, big movies with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers at RKO and moved over to the, uh, MGM and Richard Brooks, whose real name I think was Sachs, uh, who was from Philadelphia. And he, uh, he was the screenplay writer from Ivan Hunter's book, Blackboard Jungle, and also the director of the movie. And so I actually auditioned, took a screen test and, and won the part. My first agent was Burt Marks, who was Sam Marks's brother. Burt Marks was an agent. He handled uh, Tom Drake and a few other actors at MGM. And of course, Samuel Marks had produced uh, National Velvet and discovered uh, Elizabeth Taylor and sure. uh, and uh, did a lot of the other things at uh, MGM. Weren't you also repped at one point by the legendary Meyer Mishkin? Oh, Meyer was my favorite. I love Meyer <laughs> attended my wife. Also uh, Marvin Kaplan's our, agent. Our, yes, yeah, Mar- Marvin Kaplan, that great story. Marvin goes in to see Meyer. Meyer was a tiny, short little man. He had a very high voice, and he talked like this. <laughs> And Marvin Kaplan, I hope the audience knows who Marvin is. We had him on this show. Oh, he was wonderful. Marvin came in to him and he goes, Maya, you know, I haven't been waking lately. And Maya says, well, Marvin, you're special. And uh, Marvin looked at him. He says, Maya, nobody should be this special. (laughs) (laughs) Now... When you first uh, got the part as Max Klinger on MASH, was that written like just as a, like a one shot? It was, yeah. There was just about uh, five or six lines on the show. I think the title of the show was Chief Surgeon Who. And uh, Larry Gelbart had created this character. It came from a story that he had read about... Uh, uh, Oh, I can't think of the the wonderful comedian. Oh, Lenny uh, Bruce. Uh, Lenny Bruce. Lenny Bruce, yeah. Who was in the Coast Guard, yeah. And they usually they had dress of the day, which was either your, uh, you know, your class A uniforms or your fatigues. Well, when they said uh, dress of the day, he showed up wearing a dress, trying to get out of the, uh, the Coast Guard. And Larry Gelbert had read that. And so he said, hey, let's create this character, which was a one-day one thing that I came on. Uh, and and he made the character's name Klinger after a childhood friend of his that he had in Chicago. He lived in Chicago. And Harry, Larry Gelbart's father was Harry Gelbart, and he was a uh, hair, hair cutter, a barber, barber yeah. in Beverly Hills to all the comedians, uh, the Ritz brothers, Milton Berle, and Danny Thomas. And Danny Thomas was Lebanese. He came from the city of Toledo, Ohio. Danny's real name was Amos Jacob. And he took what Danny did was take, take his uh, youngest brother's name, Danny, and his oldest brother's name, Thomas, and put the two names together to become Danny Thomas. So Larry decided, hey, uh, well, let me tell you the backstory of this. So uh, Harry Gelbart's telling Danny Thomas that his son, Larry Gelbart, who's a student at Fairfax High School here in Los Angeles, uh, which is the Jewish high school in the area there. And he says, my son is a wonderful writer, comedy writer you got to read some of his material. So Danny says, all right, let me see some of it. And Danny liked it, and he bought the material from Larry Gelbart, who was a student, yet a high school student at Fairfax High. And that's why I think the payback was for, to make me, Klinger, Lebanese, to pay back Danny Thomas for buying the material that he had uh, sold him 
when he was in high school. Anyway, there was only a few lines. They didn't know how to play it. And the gentleman who was directing it, E.W. Swackhammer was his name. And he, I'd worked for him at, uh, at uh, Columbia Studio Screen Gems. I forgot the TV show. And uh, uh, Gene Reynolds, they, had, they told me they, I, they didn't know how this character was to be played. Uh, when I walked into the trailer where they had this wax uniform uh, hanging up and the high heels, I thought I was dressing with an actress. He says, no, no, those are yours because I hadn't seen the script. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and I only got the script when I, when I came out dressed in this wax outfit with the Women's Army Corps, that's what they, that stands for, W-A-C, Women's Army Corps, and these huge uh, high heels and my hairy bow legs, and everybody on the set was laughing. And so they said, here's the lines. So then Gene and Larry left. Gene Reynolds, the producer, and Larry Gelbert, the creator of the character and the producer of the show, left. And E.W. Swackhammer had me playing it gay. And so I did the first scenes that way, and I didn't know what I was doing, you know, with the show. And I, I left and I went home. And the next day I get a phone call from my agent. He says, Jamie, uh, don't get upset now, but they, uh, they want you to come back. They really can't have this character played like that. So I said, oh, I, I let Gene down. I let Larry down. I came back in. And he said, well, how would you play this, Jamie? How would you play it? I said, well, why don't you play him straight and let everybody else make comments about him, that this is his uniform that he has, let him have a cigar and let him talk. I said, nobody's ever played a character in a woman's dress before where he's played it straight. Usually it's uh, 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 Amy, uh, what's uh, uh, the, the movie that they did uh, that, uh, shoot, I can't think of uh, all the names of it. What's Once that? in Love with Amy. Oh, uh, Charlie's uh, Aunt. Charlie's Aunt, yeah. thank you. Yeah. And uh, uh, I can't remember the name, but I can't sing either. So that's <laughs> <a> different- <laughs> At any rate, so uh, uh, any of the shows, you know, Jack Benny, if he dressed up, uh, they, they, everybody would talk in a falsetto, oh, some sure. like it hot. Some like it hot, yeah. They all did it. But this way, guys were in a dress, and he played it absolutely straight. They said, well, try it. So I did it. They apparently liked it because I did uh, six more shows that uh, first year. And uh, the second year, when they got picked up, I uh, did 12 shows out of the uh, 20-some shows that we did. And then the third year is when they put me under contract. Did, did you have any idea what a gold mine that would turn into for you? No, I had none whatsoever. You know, you knew that the show was going to be canceled after the first year. You knew that, didn't you? That was on Sunday night. I was at the wonderful world of Disney and our ratings were just terrible. I think we were number 59 out of yeah. 65 shows. And uh, Bill Paley, who was the chairman of the network, was going to cancel the show. And his wife, Babe Paley, said, no, no, don't cancel it. It's a great show. We just need to move it to another time spot. So he says, okay, let's try it. And that's when Bill Paley moved the greatest night in the history of television. Oh, yeah, Saturday night. Saturday night lineup on CBS that had All in the Family, MASH, Mary Tyler Moore, Bob Newhart, and The Carol Burnett Show. Nobody went out. They did the, the tickets for Broadway theater went down. Uh, restaurants went down in terms of people going out to eat. And they, they also, beside the Nielsen rating, would know when the commercials went on how many people were watching television because the water level, when they went to use the bathroom, would drop in all the cities. <laughs> so that was another Nielsen rating. <laughs> and I, the, what, correct me if I'm wrong, Jamie, but Klinger also had a little bit of Yosarian in him, too, from Catch-22. Yes, exactly right. Yes, indeed, he did. Right. Well, they, you know what I used to like to think of is that I was kind of the visual 
uh, uh, part of what verbally Hawkeye, Trapper John, and BJ would say in the show. I, I was the visual placard, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the anti-war uh, personality. Uh, I would parade around showing my distaste for being there while these guys uh, spoke eloquently about not wanting, not wanting to be there. Did they give you clothes that were worn by, by famous yep. stars? Oh, yes, most certainly. I had, uh, were Betty Grable, Alice <laughs> Faye, Dame uh, May Witty. But here's, a, here's one of my favorite stories. I love it. One of the outfits I had on was uh, one that Ginger Rogers had worn in one of the movies that she had done. And it was a scene that I had done with uh, Kelly Nakahara, uh, Nurse Kelly on the sure. show. And we did uh, something like I was supposed to be Ginger Rogers and she was supposed to be Fred Astaire. And we were doing cheek to cheek. Well, the show aired and a couple of weeks later, I'm in the 20th Century Fox commissary where we shot the show at 20th Century Fox. And Ginger Rogers was there doing a love boat uh, for Aaron Spelling. And she saw me and came over to the table. She said, you know, Jamie, I saw you in one of my outfits that I wore with Fred Astaire. She said, you know, that dress looked a hell of a lot better on you than it did on me. (laughs) 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 What are you doing? That was a... Can't a guy have a washing set without somebody biting him on the neck? Biting who? I was biting you. No, you weren't. You were biting me. Klinger, what are you doing in here? Just borrowing a little of your shampoo, Major. It's wartime. We all got to help each other. No, we don't. You get out of here, you pervert. Pervert? Who been who, Major? Now, I have to ask you about a movie that I saw as a kid, and I've talked about a number of times on the show, and that was uh, Who's Minding the Mint? Oh, yeah. Howard Morris. Oh, I thought you were going to go to Blackboard Jungle. I was going to say, <laughs> well, you know, Who's Minding the Mint is, is late in my career. Blackboard Jungle was the first one. Rock Around the Clock, Bill Haley of the Comics. Yeah, Who's Minding the Mint was a very, very funny movie. Uh, and, and it's, uh, it, I think, uh, Leonard Malton said it's really one of the secret movies, you know, that are out there that people don't realize what a great cast, Jim Hutton, uh, Dorothy Provine, oh, Walter yeah. Brennan, Victor Bono, Milton Berle, Jack Guilford, Joey Bishop. It was just a wonderful, wonderful cast. And, uh, I, I, I Howie, Howie liked me very much. And, uh, I hadn't been working, and he said, I think Jamie can play this part. It's Italian. He'll have to speak authentic Italian. And he went to the head of the studio, and he brought me to him, and he says, I swear, if Jamie says he can talk Italian, I, I, and he says he can do it, I, believe me, he can do it. So the guy said, oh, okay, give him the part. So that was the first time I got uh, co-starring Billing in any movie that I had done. And I still remember some of the dialogue. Devi far qualcosa non messo sul camion della spazzatura. That means they, I, I thought that they, they, this was a pol- they were policemen, but it was really a garbage truck. Uh, oh, Spazzatura yes. in Italian is a garbage truck. So That is a fun yeah, so movie. Yes, I spoke all Italian in the movie. And, uh, oh, I worked with Milton. I've worked with Milton so many times. You know, all the comics you mentioned. I worked with Milton Burrow, Carl Reiner, Danny Kaye, Red Skelton, Bob Hope. Uh, the Bob Hope uh, special that we did was uh, he's having a big Super Bowl party at his house, and he invites all the comedians, the Ritz brothers, Don Rickles, oh, Marty Allen, is this and everybody Joyce? to see the Super Bowl. No, no, that's a no, different one. Oh, No, this is a different one. So the gag is that Milton Berle and I show up at the party wearing the same dress. 
<laughs> that was the gag. <laughs> you met you. You and Howard Morris were friends for a long time. And do, do I have this right? You met him on the Danny Kay show. The Danny Kay show uh, at the the first year. Harvey Corman and I were the two second bananas with Danny Kay. Uh-huh. Uh We had all the Sid Caesar writers. We had uh, Herbie Baker, Sheldon Keller, uh, Mel Token, and uh, I was the Howie Morris character, and and Harvey Corman was the Carl Reiner character. We did so many takeoffs. It was one of the fun times I've had doing any of the shows. Uh, and the guest stars we had on, Art Carney and Glynis John, and uh, uh, the, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of uh, Terry. We had... Uh, 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 John Mills, uh, uh, Terry Thomas. Sure. Uh, yeah, we we had some some great. Uh, we, one of the sketches we did, we took a uh, we did a, a parody on the uh, Great Escape, and Harvey and I were the two Nazis in the thing. Harvey had the he was like the Otto Preminger, and I had I was his German sergeant, and uh, I had this helmet on, and the only thing that stopped the helmet from going onto my shoulders was my nose. I mean, that's how big the <laughs> helmet was. <laughs> And so I would be blowing the whistle into, uh, you know, I would always blow the whistle and Harry would go, I mean, um, Harvey would go, not in my ear, you Wiener Schnitzel. He says, okay, your escaping days are over. We have a barbed wire fence, machine guns out there and landmines and a great big mean doggy in the yard. So your escaping days are over. And he turns out the lights. And he goes, oh, and one more thing. He turns on the lights and everybody's gone. <laughs> They've all escaped in the, in the compound. And Harvey's payoff line was, he yells at the, out the window, sick him, doggy, sick him. <laughs> that is a great impression of Harvey Corman doing a German. <laughs> yeah. And what was Harvey Corman like off camera? Oh, he was an absolute delight. I know you, you, you saw Tim Conway and him breaking up all the time on the Carol Burnett show, especially Harvey with uh, with Tim, but I used to break up with Harvey. We did so many takeoffs on that show. Uh, we did the one we took a, did a takeoff on the student prince uh, prince called the student dentist, and uh, <laughs> it was uh, one of the songs was uh, uh, it, it, it's great to be in Heidelberg. Uh, what a wonderful place is Heidelberg. Uh, so how come we're not in Heidelberg? And it was, and we'd take Danny around uh, on our shoulders, and he'd be hitting these big lights that were all over the place. Uh, we did a takeoff on the Three Musketeers, uh, that was absolutely wonderful. And uh, Danny was probably of all the comedians that I worked with, was his, his last name was Kaminsky, right? Danny Kaminsky, I think. Anyway, he was probably the most talented. Sing, dance, did all the shtick uh, and, and the sketches and everything else. Uh, and he was really an absolute brilliant performer. There's there's a, a part in the book about Danny Kay, though, that he was, th- uh, if I may say, he was a little threatened by Art Carney. You you talk well, about he, him, he, how he, he, how he I, well, he, of course, he was yeah, famous for upstaging yeah, people. He, 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 yeah, exactly. He, he actually, he wasn't very friendly to Howie Morris <laughs> either, or the, nor to Glynis Johns, who was his co-star in one of the great movies, comedy movies of all time, The Court Jester, sure. you know, with the motor... With the pestle, with the vessel, and the dragon, with the flagon, and all that other stuff, but uh, yeah, he uh, he wasn't very friendly to any of the people that were on the show, and he was very demanding, and so uh, yeah, he wasn't the most pleasant uh, person. And I think part of his contract, he actually had uh, the CBS built a penthouse apartment for him uh, over the CBS uh, studios on uh, Beverly and Fairfax. And he even put a Chinese kitchen in there because he was a great Chinese cook. 
And he was also a pilot. He could fly his own airplane. At that time, I also think he was uh, one of the co-owners of the, uh, the Seattle Mariners, the baseball team. He loved baseball. And so one of the deals in the contract that his wife, Sylvia Fine, couldn't be within a 10-mile radius of of CBS. They didn't want her, her anywhere around. <laughs> That's interesting. So, yeah. And you know who one of the uh, writers were? It was uh, Paul Mazursky, who I had done oh, uh, yes. uh, Blackboard, Blackboard Jungle. Jungle with. He, he and Larry Tucker were writing together. I think this was before they did The Monkees. And they were two of the writers on uh, on the show. We had great writers, and it was a wonderful uh, uh, first year. And uh, I got let go because they decided they wanted to bring in a female star to to uh, uh, be like, uh, I guess, uh, Imogene Coca, and they brought in uh, Joyce Van Patten. So I got let go. But I certainly enjoyed it, all those uh, sketches that we did. It was a wonderful year of comedy. Well, now we're going to destroy whatever entertainment value was in this show by breaking for a commercial. Okay, let's get to Blackboard Jungle. Yeah, we jump around here, back. Jamie. I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> I took the screen test. I took it. I didn't take it with Glenn Ford. I took it with uh, James Drury. James oh, Drury sure. was a, a a sort of semi-contract player at MGM at that time. He later did the Virginian, as you know. And I won the part. And uh, I got the role in Blackboard Jungle uh, playing Santini. He was uh, the, you know, not quite all there. He was mm-hmm. uh, very slow-witted and so forth. And, of course, that was Paul Mazursky's first first movie, Vic Morrow's first movie, John Ehrman's first movie, who later became a big director. Yep. Uh, I think he did Roots and then also did some feature films. Uh, that was Sidney's probably maybe his second or third movie that he did. Uh, I'm trying to think of uh, – that was Rafael Campos' first movie. Vic Morrow, too. Yeah, Vic Morrow, of course, and so uh, did the did the movie, and they uh, uh, the Rock Around the Clock uh, had been on a record that they had done, uh, that Bill Haley had done, but it was the uh, B side of the record, and it had never really gone anywhere. The other side was, and so Richard Brooks went to Glenn's house, and he asked Peter Ford, who was a teenager then, he says, I picked some of these songs out. Which one do you think I should use for the opening of the show? And the, the Peter Ford picked Rock Around the Clock, Bill Haley, in the comments. And that's what brought rock and roll in. It wasn't Elvis Presley. It was <laughs> Rock Around the Clock from the movie Blackboard Jungle. And the kids, when that movie started in the theater at the Low State in New York, got up in the aisles and started dancing to the, to the music. Oh. And that's what uh, made Bill Haley in the comments and brought in rock and roll. All because Glenn Ford's son picked it out. Picked it out, right. And so uh, now I... I, I'm living in a in a small apartment. Uh, I only made like 350 bucks for the week, and I like I think I worked four weeks on the show, and uh, I I couldn't get another job then, and I I needed some work. I needed to get work, and uh, I wasn't getting any. And Jackie Joseph, the actress, sure. her mom, Belle Joseph, worked for a chinchilla farm in Burbank. <laughs> <laughs> and she's and Jackie's mom was so good to everybody. Uh, the guys that hadn't made it yet was James Colburn and Robert Vaughn. We were all hungry actors. We could always find food at Jackie's house because of Belle. She was a bookkeeper there. And I said, Belle, I really need a job. I, I, I don't have a job. I, I've got to get some money to pay my rent and everything else. She said, Jamie, the only thing they got at the chinchilla farm is you'd have to clean out the droppings 
in the uh, the chinchilla drop, dropping pants <laughs> and be a janitor. So I said, I'll take it. So here I do, Blackboard Jungle, right? I go see myself at the Pantages Theater, and now I'm working in a, at a chinchilla farm <laughs> cleaning, <laughs> cleaning chinchilla droppings. But here's the great story of this. I was also taking acting lessons from Jack Coslin. He had a theater on Cole Avenue, and in that class was Clint Eastwood, who was cleaning swimming pools at the time. This is long before he got, you know, Rawhide or any of the other sure. shows. Nick Adams, Irish McCullough, who later went on to do uh, uh, Sheena, the Jungle Queen. And, of course, Nick, you know, did The Rebel and did a lot of other movies, Rebel Without a sure. Cause and a lot of other But we were all in that uh, in that same class together. And every time I see Clint, I always say, hey, Clint, whatever the hell happened to you? You used to clean swimming pools. <laughs> <laughs> and Richard Brooks was an intimidating figure wasn't he oh yeah he he was the uh, perfect neanderthal man he had a <laughs> butch haircut and he uh, it'd be cold out he'd have a seersucker shirt on and uh he smoked a pipe and he had corduroy pants on and he'd uh he would talk to everybody uh uh if you didn't like what you were doing he says he'd say get my gun i want to shoot this man i want to shoot him give me my gun <laughs> you know richard brooks and he'd, he'd always oh, say yeah. in cold blood and yeah and yeah, he did stay, that stay, one stay with, with the um, money Richard Gere. Oh, I'm looking for Mr. Goodbar. Yeah, but and yeah. I think he I think he wrote Key Largo. He did Lord Jim. He did Lord Jim. Lord Jim, he did, sure. Uh, uh, he did the other movie that uh, the one he did uh, with uh, Rock Hudson and Sidney Poitier. The, oh, uh, uh, one that takes the, place in Africa. The the uh, 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 yeah. Oh, he also did The Last Hunt with uh, with uh, Robert Taylor and right. uh, Lloyd Nolan and Stuart Granger. He was a great director. But very intimidating. Getting to one actor who you mentioned, who now sadly is just remembered as the uh, guy who died tragically during Twilight Zone. Vic Morrow. Yeah. You, yeah. you talk about Vic Morrow? Yeah, was Vic beheaded. Morrow? Vic Morrow was always like a scary, tough guy in the movies. What was he like? Yeah, he had that Marlon Brando, uh, you know, stu- actor studio. They, uh, Vic was uh, pretty much what you saw him in the in the movie uh, that he did, and uh, he was a wonderful actor. He, I think he did a western after that that at, at MGM. MGM really liked him and started to use him. And later he did a uh, he did the, the series Combat. Combat, sure. Uh, for for uh, my uh, one of my buddies that I grew up with back in Toledo, a uh, Greek kid by the name of George Fennedy, uh, his wife. Uh, Catherine uh, Matthews and I were in kindergarten together back there. George Fennedy wound up producing combat and directing a lot of those because also his brother, Andy Fennedy, who was also from the Toledo area, uh, came out here and became a writer and producer, uh, did the rebel, did Brand- rebel with Nick Adams, did branded with uh, uh, Chuck Connors and did the movie Chisholm. He wrote that and produced that with John Wayne. So uh, it was a lot of nepotism going on <laughs> out here from our little neighborhood, North End neighborhood in Toledo, Ohio. What kind of guy was Vic? Vic was pretty much, he was very quiet. He uh, he didn't say very much. Uh, uh, of course, you know, on that set, you had to be quiet. I mean, Richard Bush was a stickler. Uh, if his camera was on you, he would make sure that uh, that your eye vision, looking in, into the, the camera angle, that everybody cleared out all the way in the studio on the soundstage so that you couldn't see anybody. That that way you were just seeing the actor playing the role that you were doing uh, opposite. Uh, Glenn Glenn was uh, uh, was a lot of fun actually. Uh, he was more fun. Sydney was pretty serious too. 
And so was Missouri. Everybody was. I mean, it was our first movie, you know. So, I mean, it wasn't Sydney's first movie, but yeah. we were all very nervous. Uh, and uh, it was a hard-hitting movie, you know. It was that uh, first time. Actually, Louis B. Mayer didn't want to do it. It was Dory Sherry's project because, you know, Louis B. Mayer liked do, doing all the musicals, and he didn't want to do that kind of film. And actually, I think it was Claire, uh, uh, Claire, Claire Booth Luce, was that her name? She came out in Time Magazine or something and said, this is not uh, uh, respective of our, uh, of our uh, school systems here in the United States. He got a lot of flack for doing that movie. You are now listening to Rock Around the Clock. This is the theme music from MGM's sensational new picture, Blackboard Jungle. Many people said the story could not, must not, dared not be shown. The picture already has the movie and book world gasping. Blackboard Jungle deals with an explosive subject, the teenage terror in the schools. It is the frankest, the toughest, the most realistic film since On the Waterfront. It is fiction, but fiction torn from big city modern savagery. What an eclectic cast. I mean, Mazursky and Poitier and yes, Louis, yeah, Cal right. Louis Calhoun. Louis Calhoun, and what a great actor. Ford and Oh, and Anne Francis. Anne Francis Anne and Francis. you and Morrow. Uh, Margaret Hayes, right. Maggie Hayes. Oh, it was a wonderful cast, yeah. Uh, and as I said, there was uh, a lot of people got their start in that movie. Later, Years later, they, uh, the Academy uh, had a showing, a screening of it, the, the Academy of uh, the Oscars, and they asked me to be the host of the evening. And uh, I'm trying to think of uh, his, uh, the, uh, it was Dory Sherry's nephew, who was the assistant director, who later became a producer. Uh, I think he did the, the movie Shaft with, uh, uh, was it? Ro uh, Richard Roundtree. Uh, Richard Roundtree. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, he was a wonderful, anyway, he, he was there. And I got to co-host the evening with Richard Brooks, Pandro S. Berman, and that. Here I'm standing up. I had this small part in this movie, and now uh, I, I had all the MASH cast there, and they had a fresh print of the movie, and they, they screened it at the Academy. And it was really a thrill for me. And I got some wonderful pictures of all of us. We, of course, had aged since that time. Uh, Glenn had aged, and Anne Francis, and uh, Sydney wasn't there. Uh, Vic wasn't there. Paul Mazursky was there. And uh, I think uh, I think Raphael was there. Raphael Campos. It was a beautiful night, wonderful night. And you had uh, jumping around again a great quote about uh, Doris Day, if you remember it. I don't remember. I, I Doris. We did Doris Day's last movie with Six. You get egg roll. Bill Christopher, who later played Father Mulcahy yep. in Mash. We were together as uh, two hippies and. <laughs> In that yeah. movie, and that was that was Doris's last movie. Uh, Brian Keith, uh, Barbara Hershey. Oh my goodness, it was a wonderful. Does wonderful George Carlin was, turn up in that one? George Carlin, that's right. Yeah, George was before he became the George Carlin that we all I have know a memory of it. Stuff, stuff in your closet, and stuff here all over the place. He was a pretty much like a stand-up comic. And uh, my wife Joy and I had uh, just gotten married. That was 1963. I forgot when we did. Uh, with six, you get egg roll. But my house uh, in Studio City was about a couple blocks from the studio where we shot. It was the Old Republic Studios. It's CBS Studios now on Radford. So uh, at the end of the day shooting, 
if I wasn't working and George was, he'd pop by our house on Laurel Terrace Drive in Studio City with a six pack of beer. <laughs> and we sit there and, and, uh, and talk. This is long before he became, you know, as famous as he, as he became. And, sure. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, uh, being with George Carlin and having a couple beers with him. Yeah. I, re- I remember the quote you said what on a it? TV show about Doris Day was, if you didn't love Doris Day, there was something wrong with your heart. That's that's right. You know, we did a special for her. She's a uh, wonderful animal lover. She has that hotel in Carmel where you can bring your animals at. And uh, this was a uh, this was a documentary that they did. And uh, they came to my house, and I said I would love to talk about Doris Day. And I'm on the documentary. In the documentary, they uh, they released it. And, uh, I mean, who did, who can't remember in the, the man who knew too much Kesara Sarah oh, of course. going through that, of course. Yeah, that, uh, that, uh, she, she that factors building. into one of the stories in the book, Jamie, too, because you're talking about when you were making the blackboard jungle, that, that there was a pinch me moment of realizing I was a kid in Toledo watching Doris Day movies. And now I'm That's on right, the, yeah. and now I'm on the lot. Well, we're, the MGM lot. Well, yeah. here, here I, what, what it was is I was watching the, uh, Gene Kelly uh, singing in the rain movie at the Lowe's Valentine in Toledo, Ohio. And a year later, I'm on the MGM lot making a movie. And there's Doris Day with Jimmy Cagney doing Love Me or Leave Me. I mean, we, 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 let me tell you something. When we weren't shooting, I think we, I forgot the stage number that we were on. We might've been on stage 17 at the MGM lot. We'd run all over the lot going to visit, you know, other areas. This sw- I saw Gene Kelly doing, uh, oh, uh, uh, let's see, uh, the movie he did with Michael Kidd and Dan Daly. It's always fair weather. Yep, yep. And uh, we got on the a lot. Uh, you got on that soundstage to watch him. How exciting that was! I forgot. I might have been was Minnelli the director of that I'm not sure who directed uh, that. I want to say it's Stanley Donnan. The Stanley Donnan. You're absolutely yeah. right. Oh, can I tell you a story? Yeah, I'm directing a Please. mash episode. I'm directing a mash episode. First directing I had ever done. Okay, I forgot what year it is. And uh, who comes to visit Larry Galbert but Stanley Donnan? Wow! And he's watching me direct, and I'm going, "What? <laughs> How embarrassing this is!" I got Stanley Donnan watching me direct the scene on a mash episode. He's oh my st- he's still with us. He lives about twenty blocks yeah. from here. What a great director! And of course, you know he did. Uh, uh, a, a couple of those movies with uh, with Gene Kelly when Gene Kelly did uh, was alone out at uh, at Columbia the one he did with uh, Rita Hayworth and Phil Silvers and uh, gosh I love Phil Silvers he was a great comic uh, I used to see him at the commissary all the time I never worked with him but he was just an absolutely brilliant comic did you talk to Phil Silvers oh yeah oh gosh yeah it was a lot of fun well you know we were so popular our show was when Harry Morgan and the rest of us would show up. At the at the commissary, Dolly Parton was shooting uh, uh, nine to five. She came over to to talk to Harry and me. She says, "Mr. Farr, Mr. Morgan, I just want you to know I'm a big fan of you." Can you imagine Dolly Parton yeah. coming over and talk, Mr. Farr and Mr. Morgan? Oh my goodness, we had people coming over and talking to Abe Lasfogel, who was the head of the William Morris office. He'd come into the commissary and he'd sit with Harry Morgan and me at, at the, in the commissary, and we weren't with. We went with the William Morris office and he'd pick up the check. He just loved the show so much. Uh, Prince, uh, uh, Prince Charles came to the set and, and uh, uh, would watch us shoot. We had uh, 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 President Ford and Henry Kissinger on the, on the lot uh, and on the set. 
we actually got them to get into a uh, baseball pool that we had. And uh, Henry Kissinger won, and he's the one we had to convince to get into the pool. It was a $5 pool, and he won 50 bucks, and we gave him the check. Uh, we sent it to, to him. We had so many big people, famous people, come to our set to watch us shoot. It was Jump, really Jumping remarkable. around as we do, Jamie, and for a minute, I'm just going to plug your book, which you wrote a while back, Just Far Fun. Okay, can I tell you the title that was going to be? Go ahead. It was going to be So Far with Two R's So Good. And guess what? Burgess Meredith came out with his biography and he called it so far with one R so good. So I had to come up with another title and I came up with just far fun. I want to, I want to pay you a compliment. If I may, I read a lot of memoirs for this, for this podcast and I've probably read a hundred. We've had well, 150 guests or something like that at this point. Your book is not only a page turner, but I was telling Gil, it's just full of Hollywood anecdotes. Like the yes, Cecil B. DeMille story and the Ralph Bellamy yeah. story. I'll let you tell yeah. Gilbert the story about Ralph Bellamy doing the the the, the smoking, uh, the tobacco. Oh, the, you're talking about when he did uh, uh, Man Against Crime yeah. in, uh, in, in, in uh, New York City. Yeah. yeah, he told me, he said, you know, the entire budget, I guess this was probably in the 50s, uh, the entire budget was, uh, was like uh, $5,000. That included Ralph's salary as well. And they did it uh, live. And uh, so... Well, well, oh, can I tell you, the, the, before I tell you the one about the, where it was for Camel Cigarettes, which was the sponsor of the show. Yeah, but let me go to another one that he, that he tells the same. It's a man against crime. And so he's doing the show, and uh, there's the, the wrap-up at the end of the show, uh, Ralph's supposed to come into this hotel room to get the guy who's the murderer. But the guy who played the murderer, forgot that he was supposed to be in that scene and he wasn't in the, in the room when Ralph opens the door to the, into the <laughs> hotel room to accuse him of the crime. So Ralph I had to ad-lib this. This is on the air. It's live. He goes, oh, I know, I know you're outside. I know you're on the ledge. And he opens the window and he does the whole thing about saying, and I know you're the murderer and I know you're the guy who did this whole thing. <laughs> and there's nobody there. You know? the, the guy had gone but home. Ralph had to cover it because the guy, the guy, he had to do both sides of the dialogue, you know, to do the exposition on that. So that was one of the things that happened to him. The other one was at the end of the show, he, uh, he always lit a uh, camel cigarette with a Zippo lighter. And he would take, this, they didn't have the filters on it. It was just the tobacco. So at the end, he lights this one cigarette and he takes a big, deep drag on it. And what happened? Some of the tobacco, loose tobacco, got into the back of his throat. Now he's got to start talking to tell you that, be sure and get, can't we send them, you know, to our service. But, well, what happened? The tobacco got stuck. He can't cough. I mean, it's a cigarette and they're doing it live. <laughs> so as he goes on, he has to read the dialogue as quickly as he could. But his voice kept getting higher and higher and higher and higher. And he was talking like that. So be sure to watch our show next week with Camel Cigarettes. <laughs> are we into black? <laughs> a pro's pro. Yeah, exactly. You know, he, he was, uh, what a great actor he was. And, of course, he was dear friends with Harry Morgan. Uh, can I tell you another Ralph Bellamy story? Yes, please. I was he, just going to say doing, they're all in the book. Yeah, well, he's, uh, he's, doing the, uh, he's doing one of the horror films, you know, like The Wolfman with uh, Claude Rains. Oh, and that. sure. And, and he's got this uh, director that I think he was Hungarian. He had the puttees on and the, and the uh, boots on. George, and a, and George a, Wagner with two Gs. Could be. Yeah, it could have been. Anyway, he's, they're, they're, uh, they're not shooting right now. And he, the uh, director's talking, I think, to Evelyn Ankers. And he's got the megaphone. And he's saying, all right. 
All right, now here's the scene now. And, and Ralph and Claude Rains are listening to this. And he says, now, remember, the Wolfman is chasing your father through the woods. The Frankenstein monster is after your mother. And, uh, and, and, the, uh, and Dracula is after your boyfriend. And I want to get the feeling in this shot. I want to get the feeling in this shot that you're fed up with it all. You're just fed up with it all. <laughs> that was his direction. Claude Rains and Ralph Bellamy, they said they almost fell into the water that was there at the thing when he heard him giving that direction. That you're fed up with it all. And I heard that for years after that, whenever Ralph Bellamy and Claude Rains would run into each other, they would o- their greeting would always be to each other, so are you fed up yet? <laughs> I don't know. That could be it. You 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 could be having me now, my friend. But maybe that's a no, true story. no. I I read that. That you was did there read that? Okay, for yeah. years yeah. afterwards. You know, young people. I can't believe I'm saying this. Young people today do not know the 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 expression the Bellamy. That, oh, that yeah. Ralph Bellamy was was always played the guy that didn't get. It's right. Yeah, yeah. You always, Cary Grant always uh, won the yeah. This, uh, in the His Girl Friday, that's the uh, the the uh, one of the other movies that he did. And then uh, what was the one he did? Uh, the Frank Capra one. Um, oh shoot, I can't think of it. Bellamy. Uh, yeah. Um, well, he did a couple of the of, of the the movies uh, that yeah, where he played the guy that doesn't get the girl. So what happened after you uh, t- just take us back? You know, we're jumping around like crazy here, but. Take us back to what happened after the Blackboard Jungle. You're, you're working on the Chinchilla Farm. Oh, I forgot. Yes, I'm still on the Chinchilla Farm. <laughs> what, what, what was the next still big turning point? I'm making 50 bucks a week. <laughs> I made 50 bucks a week on the when I was doing Mr. Robertson, 50 bucks a week when I was cleaning Chinchilla dropping pads. You see what? It's all show business, right? Yeah. Why get out of show business? <laughs> was At that around rate, the time? Uh, what happened was that uh, uh, what happened was that Craig Stevens, who I'd done. Uh, Mr. Roberts with was going to do a pilot at CBS with Alan Hale Jr., Richard Jekyll, and Lola Albright. <laughs> and it was a Navy thing called the Mighty O. And uh, there was a character in it uh, by the name of Schnorkel. He was a guy with a big nose that could smell anything. And they said, hey, I got just the guy for you. You know, I did uh, Mr. Roberts with him, Jamie Farr. Well, it was at that time, it was Jamil Farah. That was mm-hmm. my my name that uh, that I had before I changed it to Jamie Farr. Uh, and yeah, I, I changed it because everybody would call me Schlumiel. So I decided <laughs> to change it to change it to Jamie. And then they called me Jaime. So you can't win. So at any rate, so they brought me in. I got the part. And actually, uh, Jack Prince who I had seen as a kid at the Paramount Theater in Toledo, Ohio. He had the stubby K role of Nicely Nicely in the road company of Guys and Dolls, which Jack Jones' dad was doing, Alan Jones. Wow. Alan Alda's father, Robert Alda, was doing it on Broadway. And I got to see Jack Prince in that, and then here I am. He's playing Cookie to my snorkel in this pilot called The Mighty O. Well, the thing didn't sell, but Sherwood Schwartz, who was Red Skelton's head writer, saw the pilot and they were looking for some new characters for Red. And they said, hey, we don't, we don't have a, a service character for him. Why don't we have this Red Skelton play Cookie in the, in the show and we'll bring this kid in and have him play Schnorkel to Red Skelton's Cookie. So what happened was I wound up, I first I had to meet Red. I, they, the uh, producer, Cecil Barker, took me up to Red's house. 
he had the old May Company mansion. The people, the May Company, May family had owned it. Red owned the house, and he drove me up there. I went through these iron gates, and and uh, Red opens the door, and he's got a a, a toucan bird on his uh, arm, and he's in a Japanese kimono, and he takes a look at my nose, and he says, "When your mother was pregnant, was she frightened by an anteater?" <laughs> <laughs> now you were. Just, oh, go ahead. You were also. Well, anyway, he, what happened was he he, he 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 took a liking to me, and I did the show, and I actually showed up in the show. He finds a baby that he wants to adopt, and it's a uh, it's a Korean baby, and we stop in San Francisco to adopt the baby, but they say you have to be married. So what they did is they dressed me up as his wife. So that was the first time I had done anything in drag like that. And he brings me into Olin Soule, who's the uh, person who's got the adoption papers. And I'm supposed to be convincing him that I'm Red's wife. Well, Red broke up. It became a terrific relationship. And they kept bringing me back uh, to do the skeleton show. I wrapped that one up fast for you. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you are also jumping all over the place. A regular on the gong show. Okay, the gong show. (laughs) (laughs) We like to jump decades here, Jamie. No, I know, yeah. Okay, what happened was uh, we were up in San Francisco when they were starting to sell MASH into syndication, and Chuck Barris had just sold the uh, nighttime version of the gong show with uh, Gary Owens, and we had heard about it. Nobody knew what the show was about, and then they, they decided to try it on uh, on the network with uh, John, uh, John, I can't think of his last name. He did That's Incredible, oh, I think. Uh, with, uh, John Davidson. No, not John oh, Davidson. Oh, John Barber. The, John Barber. John Barber was going to be the host of the daytime version on NBC. And Chuck was producing it. And the first three guests on the show was uh, Joanne Worley, Jack Cassidy, and me. And uh, they had Milton DeLug in the band. And Milton DeLug and the band were in these carny outfits. Uh, they had the straw hats and these weird jackets on and that. And uh, John Barber was the host of the show. And uh, they, I mean, listen, Jack Cassidy, Joanne Worley, and Jamie Farr, you know, we're not Clifton Fadiman. We're not people who are producers and the thing. We're fellow actors. And we're supposed to be making comments about the acts that they had on. John Barber was looking for another Mario Lanza. He didn't realize what the show was about. And we weren't allowed to do anything. So we did the first couple of shows and then we took a break. You know, they did five in a day. So Chuck comes into my dressing room. He says, Jamie, what's wrong with the show? I said, Chuck, you know, if you got crap, wrap it in a, in a nice package. I said, first of all, why don't you get the guys out of the carny outfit and put them in tuxedos? Uh, have uh, like the Joanne Worley, uh, the lady on the panel, be in a beautiful evening gown and the guy's in tuxedos and we're watching a guy crack eggs on his head, go the opposite way. He says, yeah, you're right. What a great idea. So, but John Barber never got it. He never got the, uh, what the show was about. And that's when Chuck took over and started doing his routine with the, with the show. And it became, you know, crazy time. And so uh, that's how that, uh, that all happened. Uh, later on, they kept trying to do the gong show, uh, without Chuck and without our panel, but what they were, the, the panel got weirder than the people that they were bringing on. So they lost the, they lost what the show was about, which is to have fun. The panel having fun with the uh, characters. Did, did Jay, go ahead, Gil. How, how did Chuck, how did Chuck Barris used to introduce you? 
Oh, he did various other ways. Uh, he'd do some nose jokes or whatever the heck it is. It was J.P. Morgan who was the dangerous one. Uh, she was always like, yeah, you'd see me trying to fight her off at the gong with an act or something. I was a lot of times I would try to fight her up because she was trying to expose her bosom. I was just, <laughs> I was just gonna ask and, about that. And, 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 I, and the, the time book. I wasn't there, she actually did it on the. And oh my goodness, standards <laughs> and practices came out to. They, they, they said uh, it was usually Artie Johnson, JP, and me were the the favors that they had. Uh, and then there was the the famous popsicle twins that they had. Uh, Oh, you remember classic. that one? Yeah. <laughs> Where they uh, erotically uh, uh, licked popsicles in the thing. And oh my gosh, the audience went crazy. Uh, I, I tell you, I think JP's famous line that she said on the show is that's how she got started in the business or something. I don't know. Because <laughs> I think Chuck Barris used to introduce you as he of large nose. Yeah, probably, you know, all those kind of things that he did. One of the shows that we did, uh, John Dorsey was the director of it, and we could do anything on that show and get away with it. Artie and I and JP got tired of Chuck clapping his hands and telling those terrible jokes that he read off the cue cards. And this was spontaneous. We asked the uh, prop people, do you have any duct tape and rope? And they said, yeah. And so when we came out of commercial, we actually got up. Now, John Dorsey, the director, didn't know what we were going to do. And Chuck didn't know what we were going to do. We grabbed Chuck, tied him up, and put duct tape on his mouth <laughs> and threw him backstage and then took over the show. And I clapped my hands. Artie would read the cue cards. JP would do something else. And John Dorsey would cut back to Chuck trying to get out of the ropes and the duct tape. <laughs> that was all spontaneous. It was totally ad-lib. It was really one of the funniest shows we'd ever done. And, and what was what was Artie Johnson like to work with? Oh, Artie was a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, and it was he's such a wonderful the the things that he did on Laugh in uh, the Dirty Old Man with the Walnettos with Lily Tomlin oh, yeah. and all the other the German character that he did. Uh, he was just well, all those people on Laughing were just terrific. Actually, we got some of the writers from them later to come on to our mash. Uh, you know, John Rappaport and I think Jim Mulligan. And a couple of other the Laugh-In writers uh, joined our group. Uh, they were wonderful comedians. There's a story in the book about, is it Chuck Barris that, that he scrawled something in a men's room? You know what I'm referring to? Stop me no. Stop me before I create again? Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Because <laughs> he yeah. was creating. Because yeah. of all these, these, these shows that were pouring out of him? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, there, there was one time I was, I forgot where I was. I was in... I I think I was in the I was in Canada. I think it was with my wife. I was doing a show, a stage show up there, and it was a Monday, it was our day off, and my wife was visiting, and we were out having lunch, and a woman who had had too many drinks in the room, it, it, she loved Mash, but she also loved the Gong Show, and she pulls her blouse down in front of my wife and everybody in the thing because she had too many drinks, and she said, "Would you sign my brazier?" And I said, ma'am, I write bigger than that. <laughs> Speaking, since you brought up game shows, you, you not only were on so many game shows like Super That's Password right. and you were on oh, yes. uh, uh, the Magnificent, even the Magnificent Marble Machine, which we've yeah, talked about on this Marble. show. That was Heater Quigley and Goodson Todd yeah. and Chuck Barris, all you, the big people. You did people every that did game, game show. The, I did you every did game Stumpers. Show. You did, which, which ones am I forgetting? You did Hollywood Squares. You did Match Game. Can I tell you, I, one day I actually did, uh, I did 20 game shows 
in two days. Okay. I went to NBC to do Hollywood squares and, uh, uh, yeah, well, yeah, I think it was, it was, uh, I think it was Hollywood squares was NBC. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, I did the, those shows. And as I was coming out, you did five in a day, Ruthie Goldberg, who was the casting director of the gong show said, Jamie, somebody didn't show up. Can you do five of the gong shows? She says, we got your tuxedo. So I said, okay. So I'd done five Hollywood squares and then I'd done five gong shows. The next day I was supposed to do my five gong shows with them on Sunday. So I do my five gong shows. I'm coming out and somebody didn't show up at Hollywood Squares. So they said, would you do Hollywood Squares? I said, sure, I'll do what Vincent Price does. He used to bring, he used to bring a jacket, a blazer, and five different tie changes. Because, you know, a blazer looks like a blazer. So he didn't have to make the five change. He would change his ties. So I said, okay, give me five ties. I'll put a blazer on. I did five Hollywood Squares. That's 20 game shows in two days I did. And you you created some. I don't think people know that you created game shows. You developed game shows for a time. I developed game shows with a friend of mine, a wonderful, wonderful actor, who actually was from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and went to high school with Leslie Nielsen and Robert Goulet. His name was Eddie Carroll. He passed away. He was my partner. And the irony of it is later on, he used to do the, uh, I do a one man show of Jack Benny. And he was wonderful. It's, uh, he did uh, try to remember the title of, uh, of the show that he did. And then ironically enough, later I did the one man ja- George Burns show. That's and right. of course, as you know, Jack Benny and George Burns were dear friends, Eddie Carroll, who's now Jack Benny. And now I'm doing George Burns, Say Goodnight, Gracie. I, I had the talk and I had the cigar and I, I you know, smacked my lips and I did uh, all the things that uh, George Burns did. And uh, at the beginning of the show, he says, uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't know where I am, but it feels like nothing's ever happened here and nothing ever will. I'm in Buffalo. <laughs> what, was 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 Jack Carter the host of one of your game show pilots? Yes, we did that in uh, <laughs> yeah we did that in Palm Springs. Uh, Jack used to call my buddy a certain, a certain name. Uh, he called us two Jewish names that were not complimentary. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you said in the Jack, book, Jack was was a funny man, but he was very very difficult to get a, along with. Rest his soul, he was a very very funny man. What was uh, the uh, two names? I'm trying to remember what they are. I uh, I, I I can't uh, I can't. Remember. I was probably schmucko and you know something. <laughs> I get I get the yeah. impression from reading your book, Jamie, that you weren't wild about Joey Bishop either. Joey was uh, was kind of tough. He was. Uh, <laughs> uh, we've heard when from we other did people. the movie. Yeah, when we did the movie, who's minding the mint? Uh, Joey, of course, was one of the Rat Pack, worked with uh, Frank Sinatra and Peter Lawford. I had worked with Peter Lawford years before. He was doing a TV series called Dear Phoebe, and that was one of my first jobs that I got in the industry, along with Blackboard Jungle. Uh, and it was uh, in those days, uh, a lot of the shows were by one sponsor. I think Campbell Soup was the sponsor of Dear Phoebe. And so, and then, of course, uh, you know, we worked with Dino and Sammy and everything else. And uh, this is the movie where I had to speak Italian. And Howie wanted me to come into the room and he was going to have the camera just follow me from one person to the other to, to explain in, in Italian that the money has gone off, you know, and I need somebody. And Joey, of course, is my, my cousin. He's the one that brings me into the, to the caper. And Joey's not in the room at the time. He's trying to get some ink off of his face that he had gotten when they were trying to get print money in the mint. 
And so I had to go to Victor Bono, Walter Brennan, Dorothy Provine, uh, Jack Guilford, Milton Berle, and everybody explaining to him. And finally, come on, I, Joey comes out, and I finally, I have one line to Joey. And Joey comes to me, actually. And he comes to me, and I have ready to give my one line out, because we're only doing this in one take. We're not doing any, any uh, cover shots at all. And Joey stops the thing. He says, hey, you're standing in my key light. So now I have to do the whole thing all over again, going to everybody, everybody again. And we get to Joey. We come out to do the thing. And again, he stops the camera. All I had was one line to him. Credevo la polizia. And he stops it again. He was doing it on purpose. And finally, Howie Morris said, you know, uh, Joey, you're not working with the Rat Pack. And he says, the next one I'm going to print. Don't you dare. Don't you dare cut this. So... He, uh, we got to the thing, and I made sure that, that nobody was in anybody's key light or anything else and finally got the line out. But he re- really wasn't very nice uh, at that point. That's, uh, those are, got to uh, rest his soul, he, he passed on. But, you know, those are cheap tricks that you do in the business when you don't care for somebody and uh, you, you pull those, those stunts on, on people. Uh, that's uh, really tough. It's, it's funny doing a show like this. And I was just saying with Gil that we've done probably 150, 160 guests and the same people, (laughs) you know, we've heard from more than one person about Joey Bishop. We've heard from more than one person about Danny Kay being difficult. Uh, with Johnny Carson, you read we, my uh, the story Carson about stuff Johnny in Carson. your book too was, was, yeah, was a no, bit surprising. Yeah. Did Danny Kay hit you in the hand during a yes. sketch and almost break there your was hand? A sketch. He did. He did break my, uh, my hand. It uh, was a sketch. He, I think we were doing a sketch on Viva Zapata, and he took his hat off. And it had a big buckle on the thing, and he started, you know, how he used to hit somebody like that, and he hit my hand several times with the buckle, and at the time, I didn't realize it, and th- this was in rehearsal, so they finally, they, got, they took me down to the CBS nurse's office like that, and what had happened is, yeah, he had broken uh, one of my knuckles on my hand, and uh, I had to, uh, and, but, you know, I still did the show on the thing. Yeah, he wasn't very considerate. He, he was brilliant, a, a brilliant performer, absolutely brilliant. I would tell you that he was absolutely, as, a, as, as an audience, he was one of my favorite performers. Everything he did, Sacred Life of Walter Mitty, Hans Christian Andersen, brilliant, brilliant actor. And sing, dance, did, uh, you know, in White Christmas, look at the dancing steps that he did. Sure. In that. Yeah, he was absolutely wonderful, but not very considerate. Yeah. Well, so what we hear that he that he didn't uh, he didn't like other people getting the laugh. That's no. co- that's kind of what we. How heard. could you dislike Art Carney? I mean, Art Carney is <laughs> one of the mean. sweetest <laughs> men in the world. How could you dislike Art Carney? Right. This is this is impossible for me to believe. He was a sweet man. Tell us about Mar. We, since we brought Marvin up, tell us about uh, the Chicago Teddy Bears. Oh, that Chicago Teddy Bears that uh, originally was uh, High Averback yep. that uh, was directing. From, from, F, from F Troop. F Troop, which is how I got my part on MASH because I played a stand-up comic Indian on that which Gene <laughs> Reynolds directed. <laughs> That's right. They gave me all of Henny Youngman's jokes, you know, but they made him Indian's jokes. You know, said, take my wife, please, take my squaw, please, and all that kind of stuff. And Gene remembered me so that when Larry came up with this character, Klinger, uh, Gene said, let's get Jamie, uh, you know, to, to do the thing. But High was the producer and director of the Chicago Teddy Bears, which was a comedy takeoff on The Untouchables. Yep. And uh, that was a great cast. What I mean, a cast. John ba- Banner was in that. Uh, uh, Art Matrano. Art Matrano was in it. Uh, Mickey Shaughnessy. Yep. Um, 
Oh, uh, Mike Mazurki. Yes, Mike Mazurki. Uh, I'm trying to think of who the female lead was in that one. Gosh. It was a terrific cast. Um, Dean Jones. And it, Dean Jones, of yeah. course. He was the star of the show, yes. Right. Anyway, the uh, the show sold, and we went on Friday nights on CBS against uh, some of the bigger shows that NBC had. But uh, what happened was, uh, oh, gosh, uh, Richard Thorpe, uh, Jerry Thorpe's son. Richard Thorpe was a big director at MGM. Jerry Thorpe later did a lot of uh, TV things, and so he became the uh, producer of the show. And uh, I think Bullock and Allen, Harvey Bullock and Ray Allen, uh, were the writers. They they were big uh, supporters of mine. Whatever something was going on, they would write something for me in it. Uh, and for some reason, uh, Art was a little Art Matrano was a bit difficult uh, on the show to work with. He uh, he was trying to really be the star of the show. I mean, he was the Frank Nitty character, but it was Dean Jones who was the star of the show. And uh, there was a lot of problems on that show. It lasted, I think, only ten. Ten shows. We were supposed to do thirteen, and uh, we we were getting killed in the in the ratings. Well, what an ambitious show! Yeah, and the the production design and the you know, the, the oh everything was great in that. Yeah, I, it's a shame it didn't go. And Marvin and Dean was a sweetheart. He was a what? Dean passed away also. Yeah, He's recently. Just a sweet, sweet man. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. <laughs> uh, another actor I always loved was Jack Guilford. Jack was the most wonderful actor. I mean, Save the Tiger. Isn't he great in that? Oh, you like and, that and, movie. Oh, yes, talked about it yes. a lot. Yeah. 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 Jack, of course, was on Broadway, you know, and the funny thing happened on the way to the forum, which Larry Gelbert had, had written. What a wonderful, wonderful comedian he was uh, and, and a wonderful actor. And, of course, you know, he was blacklisted for many, many sure. years because he was part of the— uh, the uh, the gang in, in New York City that uh, was accused of being a, a communist. So uh, it was a pleasure working with Jack. He he and his wife were two of the sweetest people. Uh, you couldn't find a nicer person in your lifetime than uh, Jack Guilford. Uh, and Howie Morris respected him just as we all did on the show. Uh, Norman uh, Maurer, who was the producer of that show, was married to... Mo Howard's daughter, oh, Joanne, yes, there you yes, go. of there the you Three go. Stooges, yeah. And Mo was actually on the set a couple of times. And uh, they uh, they actually, when they got their star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, they invited me there, and somebody did a book on the Three Stooges, and they asked me to write the foreword to it. So I did, because I used to love them as a kid. I mean, they were violent as could be, but absolutely funny. I, I, got, to, I got to know Mo, and I got to know, uh, I didn't know Curly, I didn't know Shemp, but I got to know uh, uh, Larry, Larry Fine, because I was in New York when I was doing Guys and Dolls, and, and he was living there, and his sister used to call me uh, all the time. And I got to know uh, one of my favorite comedians was Joey Besser. Oh, oh yeah, We love him. He was on the Joey Bishop show. Oh, I saw him in a movie, Hey Rookie, when I was a kid at the Little Neighborhood Theater in Toledo, Ohio. And he was uh, in the in the army, and he was doing all those things, pinching the sergeant. Oh, I'll give you such a slap! I'll give you. Oh, for goodness sake, stop! And he'd give you a pinch and or anything like that. You know how terrible Harry Cohen was to them. He was just miserable. Well, that's the famous Red Skelton line. You know, when Harry Cohen died, uh, he had a thousand people at his at his funeral, and Red Skelton said, "You see, you give the people what they want, and they'll show up." <laughs> There's a, there's an odd story in the book about Red Skelton being a bit of a joker and projecting 
You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Uh, yes, uh-huh. He used to rent a hotel room, and he'd uh, get porno films and show them against the wall in an alley and have to get the reaction from people walking <laughs> by. Project them out the window. <laughs> out the window. <laughs> I heard a story about Ritz Skelton that during rehearsals, he would yes. get really obscene. Yes. <laughs> it was the dirty hour, and every executive at CPS would have the dirty hour. <laughs> yeah, I got the good fortune. I worked with Errol Flynn on that, Peter Laurie, George Raff, Boris Karloff, wow. Jane Mansfield. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember all of them that I uh, that I had the pleasure of uh, of working with on the show. It was uh, it was a lot of fun, and of course, they all loved Red. He he was one of the sweetest men and one of the most giving comedians uh, uh, ever. Uh, he he wasn't like uh, you know Joey Bishop or Johnny Carson or Danny Kay. He allowed you to get laughs on that. And, on the and show. I heard as was as did Jack Benny. You know, I mean that sure. Jack Benny always let Jack Benny was usually the brunt of the joke. So I heard. Yes, I'm sorry. Like during Go the ahead. rehearsal, he'd be really obscene and disgusting. Mm-hmm. And then when they were filming. He yes. would like kind of do like stuff that looks like he was. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. He'd go right to the edge, you know, and he goes, no, I better not say that. And of course, <laughs> the audience would laugh. And the guys in the booth would be uh, would be laughing. It was uh, Seymour Burns was the director, and Pappy Cunningham was the changer, and Willie Dahl was the stage manager. And when Red passed away, Red was married three times. He was married to Edna the first wife who got him the contract at MGM at NBC. They got divorced. And then he married Georgia Davis. Uh, Georgia Davis was, uh, she had red hair. She was little red. And he was big red. And they had two children, Valentina and Richard Skelton. Uh, and uh, that's when uh, Richard Skelton passed away at 12 years old of leukemia. And so uh, uh, I was with Red, and then I got drafted into the uh, U.S. Army and went to Korea and Japan after I'd been in uh, New York City. And Red uh, got me from the State Department and got me VIP status, and we flew on a United Nations airplane from uh, Tokyo, uh, from uh, Tachikawa, Japan, to Seoul, Korea, and entertain the troops all the way up to the 38th parallel. And, and when, when, well, what happened was when, when Red was leaving to go back to America. He said, you come and see me because when you try to get your career started again, it's going to be very difficult. And uh, I want to, I want to make sure that you're looked after. So red, red, red left and went back. And I'll tell you that story. Then what happened though, Georgia uh, later, Georgia had committed suicide on the same day that Richard Skelton, his, their son passed away. So red would only have one day of mourning. And then uh, red married Lothian, uh, Lothian was the daughter of uh, uh, Greg, uh, the great cinematographer that did Citizen Kane. Oh, Greg Kane. Toland. Greg, Greg Toland, Lothian Toland. And uh, that was the person. So when Red passed away, Lothian called me and she said, would you be one of the pallbearers for Red? And so I was Bob Hope, Milton Berle, me, and Willie Dahl, the stage manager. I told you, we were the pallbearers. He's uh, buried at the same uh place that Jack Benny and George Burns are in Glendale at Forest Lawn Cemetery in a crypt there. Uh, I, I should tell you the story. Actually, when I got out of the army and started to try to get my career going, I couldn't get it. I couldn't get a job. My dad passed away. They were living in, uh, they had moved from Toledo to uh, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona. 
So I was going to have to quit and go home to support my mom. We didn't have any money. And I went to say goodbye to Red at CBS. And he says, no, no, you're not going anywhere. That's when you got the quote. You're a doctor of comedy, just like I am. He pulled out some big $100 bills, took some off. He says, send that home to your mom. He says, you're under contract to me as of right now. And I'll see you up at the house at uh, Bel Air tomorrow morning. So that's what I was with Red for a whole year. Uh, did his show. Did uh, the Sands Hotel in Las Vegas with him. I uh, I did all of the McKenzie machine sound effects for all of his uh, uh, sketches that he did. The little old man watching the parade. Oh, yeah, sure. And any of the other things because he knew my comedy timing. I could do that for him. I actually wasn't on stage with him. But what I did is I, I was part of the production of the shows. We played the Chez Paris in Chicago, uh, the Fountain Blue Hotel in Miami Beach, uh, the uh, Moulin Rouge in Los Angeles. Uh, it was a great year I had with uh, Red. I learned an awful lot from him. Oh, and we, we can't uh, leave out a, a TV movie we've discussed several oh, times. Oh, I almost, I almost <laughs> forgot. <laughs> Murder Can Hurt You. That was, a, yeah, Aaron Spelling. That was a takeoff on the one that uh, uh, Neil Simon had oh, done. Oh, Murder by Death. With all the great stars, yeah. We had uh, Victor Bono was, uh, was supposed to be, uh, remember Ironside? Oh, sure, was, uh, sure. Yes, was, uh, sure. Yeah. And you and, uh, and John Biner were Starsky and Hutch. We were, yeah, Starsky and Hutch. But the, uh, Victor Bono's name was, you know, was Ironside with, Perry, uh, with uh, Raymond Burr. His name in the show was Iron Bottom. Right. In the, in <laughs> and uh, Burt Young was, uh, was Palumbo instead of right. Columbo. What a cast. And he had, uh, when you open this closet, he had nothing but dirty raincoats in the, uh, in the, in the closet. And Marty uh, Allen? Marty Allen was, uh, uh, he was uh, Stavros. Oh, uh, he the, was, uh, uh, right, he was uh, the, Gavin McLeod's. Uh, Gavin McLeod, yeah, Gavin McLeod instead of Kojak was no Jack. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> John Biner was uh, was Stutsky, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, or, uh, you were Stutsky. No, I was I was were, Stutsky. Yeah. He was he Hatch. Was ha- yes. Hatch. Yeah. Yeah. Hatch. Hatch. <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to remember. Oh, uh, 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 Connie Stevens was uh, Sergeant uh, Pepper. Oh, she was uh, Angie Dickens. Uh, Sergeant Salt. Sergeant Salt. Yeah, instead of Pepper. I'm trying to remember who else was in it. Tony Danza, I think, was in it. He was uh, instead of Beretta. He was something else. It was a lot of fun. Uh, that was a really funny, funny movie. I, I think you can pick it up on YouTube yeah. someplace. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fun. Come in, Rabbit 3. Stutsky, Patch, where are you? You sure you dropped your sunglasses down there, Stutsky? I'm sure. There's plenty more where they came from. <laughs> Whatever you say, <laughs> I think your Zinky's beeping. Oh, get it, will you, Hatch? I'm wet. Oh, sure. Hey, I'm wet, too. Yeah, and not too bright. <laughs> hey, Brad, throw me a Zinky, will you? You're going to kill yourself with this junk. Stop nagging. I'm trying to cut down. Want to help me look for my zinky? <laughs> sure. You want to talk about MASH or you want to tell us about Ed Wynn? Oh, Ed Wynn. I love Ed Wynn. Yeah, people can find out about MASH, but Ed Wynn, 
Edwin was like the father to Red Skelton, that Red Skelton was like the father to me. And I love telling this story. Uh, there's a little boy, he's in Vincennes, Indiana, and he's selling newspapers. And he's really energetically selling these newspapers. And a gentleman in a Hamburg hat and a three-piece suit comes by. And he says, young man, he says, boy, you're really trying to sell these newspapers. Why are you trying to do that? He says, well, sir, he says, my favorite comedian is playing at the Pantheon Theater here in Vincennes, Indiana. And he says, if I sell all my, my, my papers, I'll have enough money to buy a ticket. The man says, well, he says, I'll be happy to do that. Let me take all of those newspapers. Here's the money for it. And he says, incidentally, I know the stage door manager there. He says, I'm going to give you a little card, sign your name. He says, how would you like to meet Edwin uh, backstage? He, oh, he said, that would be just great, sir. He says, okay, you give that card. Good luck to you. So the little boy goes to the theater and he sees Edwin on stage, who's the perfect fool, has the glasses on and the thing. And he's got, he's riding his piano bicycle across the thing. He's got his uh, uh, 11 foot pole that you wouldn't touch somebody with a 10 foot pole and doing all those kind of gags. The little boy comes backstage after the show's over and he gives the card to the stage door manager. He says, oh yes. He says, yes, Mr. Wynn's waiting for you. Go into the, uh, that dressing room over there with the star on it. So the little boy knocks on the door and the voice says, come in. And the little boy opens the door and there in front of the mirror, taking off his uh, makeup is the man in the Hamburg hat, three piece suit who bought all the newspapers from him. It was Ed Wynn. And the little boy is Richard Red Skelton. That's how they met. And that's a, a, that's a true story. Wow. And later when, when Ed Wynn got the part in uh, Requiem for a Heavyweight on the Playhouse 90, Red was next door at uh, the Red Skelton soundstage and had to go over and, and tell Ed that he could do that part in there because Ed was so frightened to death of trying to do a serious role in the thing. And uh, it was Red that went over and encouraged him to, uh, to do the play. And I got to work with Ed on The Greatest Story Ever Told. So it was a wonderful. And he gave me three words. He said, Jamie, when you're in this business, I'm going to give you three words. And you must live by these three words. I said, what are they, Mr. Wynn? He says, save your money. <laughs> you got to have go screw yourself money when somebody offers you a part and you don't want to do it. Have go screw yourself money. And can you so, do uh, an Edwin imitation for us? Well, no, it's the silliest thing I ever saw. He says, I used to, uh, I used to let me see, I would be making so this uh, thing. I put some salt in there and some pepper in there and I taste it. Oh, you know what? It needs more salt. Oh, you know what? It needs more pepper. You know what? It needs more salt. You know what? It needs more pepper. He says, what are you making? He says, salt and pepper. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of people giving you advice in the book. Richard Brooks used to say, stay with the money. Stay with the money. Stay with the money. And Steve McQueen gave you advice, too, that you didn't take. No, what was that? Well, I don't ta- remember ta- that Don't was. forget to take your asshole pills. <laughs> oh, that was, uh, uh, I might have been, uh, was that Steve McQueen or was that Burt Reynolds? I'm okay, sure. okay, according to the book. I'm to remember, yeah. 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 I, uh, you know, I work with so many people. Uh, you know, you, you have a, a conglomerate of people. Can you imagine? Max von Sydow, who is uh, Ingmar Bergman's great actor in Sweden, and I'm working with him. Then I work with Milton Berle, you know, and some of these. I mean, what a dyke, what a what a what a career! Not bad <laughs> to have the other people that you work. William Holden. I did the first miniseries, which was the Blue Knight with Bill Holden. 
And uh, he's the one that actually helped me get my raise at 20th Century Fox. I wasn't making very much money at that time. And we were doing the show. And he says, uh, Jamie, he says, let me tell you something. We had a lot of problems with Harry Cohn at, uh, at Columbia when, we were, when Glenn Ford and I were there. He says, what you got to do, you got to just be careful that you don't hold a gun to them. And I thought, hey, what a great idea. <laughs> so I got a prop gun from the MASH department. And I went over to the guy, the money guy's name, his name was uh, uh, Beckman. Uh, I'm trying to remember his, uh, his first name. And uh, I uh, kicked open the door uh, where he was and I held the gun at him. He said, listen, you SOB, this is the way the deal is going to go. And he says, you're crazy, you're crazy. He ducked under the desk. <laughs> anyway, we met and I, I got my raise uh, from uh, Mr. Beckman uh, thing after uh, William Holden <laughs> William Holden told me what to do. <laughs> not not bad for a kid from Toledo, Jamie. That you wind not up bad. working. Yeah. A, you're in a John Wayne movie. You're working with Von Sydow. Every yeah. comedian, every major comedian. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a wonderful life. Quote, quoting uh, James Stewart and Frank Capra. So yeah. And now listen, I'm with Gilbert and you and. And, and let me tell you, may I say something to you? And I say this again from my heart. What an honor to be part of all the personalities that you have interviewed. Thank you for selecting me. I do oh, of course. Oh, oh you're, the, you're, you. you're the perfect guest. And, and, and we could talk about MASH forever. I've got cards on it here that we won't get to. And like you say, people can, can find out about MASH anywhere. But oh, yeah, that's tell, easy. Tell, yeah. Us, tell us about your pal, William Christopher. Bill was absolutely one of the most wonderful people I have ever met. And one of the brightest people, uh, he would be on the set when we weren't shooting, and he would be studying Homeric Greek. Can you man? And we all said, "Who the hell are you going to talk to?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> he was a great traveler. He loved. He and his wife Barbara uh, loved to travel. They've gone to practically every country in the world. Uh, Bill, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, Barbara his widow is uh, going to be having a memorial for uh, Bill in April. Uh, I don't want to date this podcast. No, but, it'll, uh, we'll, we'll yeah, put it up in we're, plenty we're of time. All going, we're all going to be coming in. Alan will be coming in from New York and Loretta will be coming in from New York. And of course, Mike Farrell and I are out here in California and, and those that are left, you know, we lost uh, the first one we lost was McLean Stevenson. Then I think we lost uh, Larry Linville, who was Major Burns. Right. McLean was Henry Blake, uh, Colonel Blake. Uh, we lost uh, Harry Morgan. Uh, and Wayne, Harry Wayne was, Rogers last and year. Wayne was the, was the last one that left, yes, that we lost. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, I was at Wayne's memorial, and uh, at the memorial was another dear friend of mine who we just lost, uh, Mike Connors. I just heard from his daughter and that they're having a memorial for uh, Mike uh, in, in March. Uh, Mike was a wonderful guy, uh, just a delight. Uh, I met uh, Mike when his name was Touch Connors, and he was doing a show called Tightrope, and it was over at CBS on the Skelton set that I met uh, Mike. That has to be 1950s. And then, uh, then we lost uh, Bill. Bill had cancer. Uh, it wasn't cancer of his lungs, but it was cancer somewhere else. And we thought it was in remission and the cancer moved to his lungs and, uh, he was, uh, gone very, very quickly. What a, what a very sweet, sweet man. We all, we call him our beloved Bill. Underrated actor. And you guys toured yes, in the odd was. couple together? Yes, we did. Yeah. He was, uh, he was, uh, Felix and I was Oscar naturally, you know, and we had a great time. We did, uh, we did one nighters, bus and truck, uh, 
kind of thing that we did. It was, uh, and Barbara would join us on the bus, and then my wife Joy would come in and join us on the bus, and it uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it, it was such a pleasure to work with him. And I can't let anybody leave who's worked with Milton Pearl. Uh oh, watch <laughs> it, James. Do you know Why what I'm going to ask you? <laughs> No, I have not seen it. <laughs> I did not see it. <laughs> but I heard he I, I heard he just took out enough to win. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's he, the old he, joke. He, yeah. he worked with Forrest Tucker too. <laughs> yeah, we're with Forrest Tucker. Yeah. yeah. These are all inside jokes, so let's keep them that way. <laughs> Jamie, maybe we'll we could, zip it up now. We, maybe we could sell a couple of books because I tell you, the book is fun, uh, just far fun. And it's. Well, it's, you know, it's out of print. It's oh, is it out of print? print. So, well, I yeah, got it on Amazon pretty easily. Yeah, but it is out of print. And I do have some here at the house, but. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a big believer in, uh, in, uh, my church. Uh, I'm, uh, Eastern Orthodox. Uh, Danny Thomas was a Maronite Catholic and I'm, uh, Orthodox, Antiochian Orthodox, and we're building our new church. So what I thought is I take these books and, uh, do a, uh, a thing that we're doing right now with an audience and then sell the books to them and all the proceeds go to our, our church. Uh, you should, uh, Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. The book's not only fun uh, and full of anecdotes, but it's inspirational uh, because it's really the story of, of St. Jude's story. Yeah, that yeah, I have the St. Jude story, the Capra, the we Frank can't tell Capra that. letter. Too long. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's, there's so much in there for anybody that, that, that. Yeah, we didn't talk about Carl Reiner or Dick Van Dyke. That's why we got to have you back. Oh, yeah. Okay. We'll, you, we'll have you, you back. But deal. The book was inspiring as well as funny, and it was uh, well, really a pleasure, a pleasure to read. Thank you very, very much. And, uh, and uh, again, I, you know, I'm so honored to be a part of all the people that you've talked to. Uh, and uh, I, uh, I will turn, uh, let's see, in July, July the 1st, I'll turn 83. So I've been in the business now for 64 years as a professional. So Jamil, you've done good. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, Alan's all, Alan Alda's first name is Alfonso. We used to call him Alfonso. They used to call me Jamil. Abruzzo. Alfonso de Abruzzo. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I should start wrapping up. Uh, this is Gilbert Gottfried. This has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. And our guest today has been the wonderful Jamie Farr. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.